Standby playback. And now, live. Real Red Meat Radio. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. I want to get a couple of breaking news items in front of you, and then we'll go on to a few other things and get to your phone calls. Number one, in Iowa, in the town of Perry, Iowa, early this morning, a 17-year-old student who had two firearms and some kind of explosive device went inside his Iowa high school on the first day back from winter break, began shooting, killing a sixth grader and injuring five other people, turned the gun on himself, or as they say in the New York Post today, themselves, because apparently this person, like so many of the killers that we've heard about in the last several years, is somebody who had, uh, well, let's say they were disturbed about their gender and about how they presented themselves to the world. We're going to know more about this tomorrow, I would imagine, and in the weeks ahead, but I think there's a very disturbing pattern that uh, killers over the last several years, a stunning number of them, have been transgender or have had other kinds of difficulties in how they relate to the world, whether or not they're a boy, a girl, whatever. And I think this is just added to by an awful lot of the crazy indoctrination that we're seeing in schools. So we'll tell you more as we know more, since this only happened a number of hours ago. It was about quarter to eight in the morning in Iowa. And that's now been uh, you know a number of hours since then. But We'll find out more about what they know, and then we'll find out something even more important, and that is how much are the authorities willing to tell us? Because remember, in the case of the Nashville school shooter who shot up that Christian school, and then we found out, well, there were some bad things, disturbing things in that person's background and had a manifesto. And then the authorities didn't want to release the manifesto and tell the public what they knew about that horrific account. Let's hope the the cops and the authorities in Iowa treat this differently. Then we had the release last night of a lot of the documents, not all of them by any stretch of the imagination, from Jeffrey Epstein, from the case that was brought by Virginia Jeffrey, who was suing Jeffrey Epstein for defamation. As you know, Epstein's dead, and there's a debate. I believe he was murdered. Uh, the authorities said he committed suicide, which I think is, is cockamamie. It doesn't make any sense. But he was a convicted pedophile. He was awaiting charges, trial, on other charges of pedophilia and sex trafficking and child trafficking and everything else. And yet, somehow, even though Jeffrey Epstein was connected to a tremendous number of politically and financially influential people in America, somehow the only person who actually got convicted in that case was, and she should have been, Ghislaine Maxwell, the pimp or the child trafficker who worked for Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein ends up dead either by suicide or homicide. I believe it was murder instead. Um, but the names that came out last night, including names of some very, very prominent people. And I know that I'm going to hear from somebody, well, Donald Trump's name was in there, and you won't talk about it. Yes, I will. I'll talk about it. I think, if anything, it's exculpatory for Donald Trump. Not that he needs to be excused from any of this, but what did we find out from the documents already released? 
Well, that Trump uh, did not go to Jeffrey Epstein's island, did not go to his home, as so many celebrities, including the likes of Bill Gates, did. But Donald Trump did not. And Donald Trump's the guy who kicked Jeffrey Epstein out of the private club Mar-a-Lago. And why? Because he saw Epstein trying to prey on a 16-year-old girl who was the daughter of one of the other club members. And Trump said, I want that guy out of here. And if you say, well, he only did that because he was running for president. No, he did that about eight years before he even announced that he would run for president of the United States. He knew a pervert when he saw one, Jeffrey Epstein, trying to uh, flirt with or hit on a 16-year-old girl and said, I want that guy out of here. Remember, that's the kind of club, uh, Mar-a-Lago. It costs two hundred grand to join the club. It costs $20,000 a year to stay in the club. It's a very exclusive, very expensive club. And Donald Trump had no problem giving the boot to Jeffrey Epstein. So when some of the lawyers representing some of Epstein's victims years later uh, came looking for somebody who would tell them more about what was going on there, most of the people said, I'm not talking to anybody about what went on with Jeffrey Epstein. Donald Trump invited the lawyers in, said, come on in, I'll tell you everything I know, because Donald Trump is no friend to child predators. He's one of the presidents who actually managed to sign a piece of legislation that got tough with child predators and sex traffickers and child traffickers. So good for him. It's one of the reasons why Americans are showing by a majority at this point in the polls, they want him back as president. And they want the pervy old man, Joe Biden, who's always nuzzling up to children in a way that is deeply disturbing. They want Joe Biden out. They want Donald Trump in. And what does that tell you? So welcome to the program. Glad to be with you. If you want to join what we call the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And we got the news that the U.S. national debt has gone from 32 trillion in June, 33 trillion last September, and is now past 34 trillion. And yet, listen to what the mouthpiece for Joe Biden, Karine Jean Pierre, KJP, is saying in praising Joe Biden as the guy who's showing fiscal restraint. Listen to that soundbite. President Biden has been in office for 35 months, and uh, over the past three months, the U.S. has added $10 billion per day to the federal debt. So, and that's not turning around. So, so is there a discussion here about cutting spending then? Republican tax cuts are, are responsible for 90%. 90% of the increase in the debt. 90%. That is something that Republicans are responsible for. Now, this is what's crazy about that. Corinne Jean-Pierre is saying, if only Americans would give us more of their paychecks, we wouldn't spend beyond our means. First of all, that's a cockamamie notion, and I'll tell you why. There have been few times in America's more than 200-year history when the government has not spent beyond its income. I mean, they're like that friend of yours who makes more money every single year and always manages to spend even more money than he or she makes. We all know people like that. I try not to be people like that. But our government seems capable if they had $10 trillion for the federal budget, they would manage to outspend it. They outspend their income all the time. What do responsible citizens do? They say, if I make $6,000 a month uh, or take home $6,000 a month, I can't spend much beyond that 6000 without paying for it the next month or the next six months or the next year. Our federal government seems incapable of that. And yet Joe Biden, has now taken the government that was running a $1 trillion deficit, bad enough, and we're now going to run a $2 trillion deficit. 
And his mouthpiece, Corinne Jean-Pierre, who makes a couple of hundred thousand dollars to make up excuses for feeble, slow Joe, comes out and says, well, all of this is the fault of Republicans because they wouldn't let us tax the American people enough. If only you'd give us enough of your paychecks, we wouldn't spend beyond our means. As I said, it's a cockamamie notion. It's it's factually untrue. And I want us to I, I want to check check her on that and just say, listen, you're not going to get away with this nonsense. Not when your boss has driven us from a one trillion dollar annual deficit. That's the amount that the federal government is short of what it makes. It's like if you made five thousand a month, but you spent six thousand a month, you have a thousand dollar monthly deficit. This government has had a one trillion dollar annual deficit spending beyond its means. And Joe Biden has taken it to two trillion. But of course, according to KJP and Joe Biden, it's all the Republicans fault. Just let us tax more. Coming up in a moment. Why is everybody talking about the Epstein list and Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis and the rape charge the rape penalty? Did you? No need for a strong Wi-Fi signal. His voice will reach you. This is Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails, which I will do in just a moment. But first, I want to talk about this. I think we need to have the legal tools to go after some of the most uh, outrageous crimes that are committed in our society. And if you say, Lawrence, we've got law books full of rules. Well, yeah. It, did you notice that while everybody else was talking about the Epstein list, that Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis signed a law into effect last year that made child rape punishable by the death penalty? And the question occurs, should more states follow suit? Do we need some more legal tools to go after people like child rapists, sexual assaulters, sex traffickers, and all of that? Representative Stephanie Lord joins me now, who represents New Mexico's 22nd legislative district. Representative Lord, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me on. I appreciate I never it. Thought, I never thought we'd actually have to have a law that outlaws necrophilia or all of the other <laughs> things that you're going after. I mean, <laughs> what kind of society needs to have a rule against that? You know what? I First of all, I found this out during a Crimes Against Children seminar. I'm not going to say any more than that. That's all people need to know. Wow. I did not know we were one of four states. How are we one of four states that allows necrophilia to be legal? I, I couldn't wrap my head around. I drafted the bill. People went crazy over this. They are so upset. It's the weirdest thing. It's, I, I don't, I've never seen people triggered. The former Speaker of the House made fun of the bill. And then what? he got ripped apart. He was a Democrat. Yeah, he was on there making fun of me and the bill. And he's a Democrat, former Speaker, and he just got ripped apart. So it's well, now, a very controversial Representative bill. Lord, you, don't, you and I don't know each other uh, except by phone. Uh, right. Is it going to hurt your feelings if I say that New Mexico is the sec was the second home of the now late and I think murdered uh, Jeffrey Epstein? Uh, that couldn't possibly yeah. play into it, could it? You know, I got to tell you, you know, so I ride a motorcycle and I happen to ride by his house all the time. It's not that far from my house. Wow. And from day one, I get the creeps, the shivers. It is so weird. It's so isolated. It's in the middle of nowhere. There's very little cell phone rece uh, reception. If you were a child out there, there's no way to escape. There's no way to go 
it's just it's it's the weirdest thing ever. And you know, I, in reading those documents, the fact that and I guess he was married to the housekeeper, and he knew for ten years or something about this, and did important and said try to sell the black book. Well, how could you live with yourself? I don't know yourself, not telling somebody. I, I don't know how. And in fact, I mean, when you see people in, uh, and I know I don't want to get completely diverted by Epstein, but you recall that during uh, some of the hearings or some of the trial of Ghislaine Maxwell, they had witnesses on the stand. And these are U.S. attorneys. One of them happens to be Jim Comey's daughter, which kind of puts a different uh, you know, texture to the whole thing. <laughs> but they have a witness on the stand who says, uh, and what did Epstein say to you? And she says, well, I. Uh, you know, uh, that, that I, or no, what did Ghislaine Maxwell say to you? And she says, well, she said I'd be perfect for Jeffrey and his friends. Now, to me, I don't know about you, Representative Lord, but the first question out of my mouth, not being a lawyer, would have been, well, who were some of these friends who took sexual advantage of you as a child? And yet the question never gets asked. I can't no. wrap my head around how all these powerful people get involved in all of these sexual crimes against children, one of the most outrageous things you can even imagine. And then the people in charge decide to dodge and say, we're not going to find out who they were. I don't get it. I mean, that has been from day one. I said, I want to know, you know, because when they arrested her, uh, you know, that's why I added child sex trafficking. Well, actually, it's for any sex trafficking. If you sex traffic somebody, you're just as much raping them as anything else. Yes, so I included that in the death penalty to go after her as well. You know, so if they want to try her, if they can still try her here. I mean, if it still gets passed. But why is nobody going after all of the people that committed the crimes against these children? And why isn't there? There was never really an active investigation here into New Mexico. I only found out after the one uh, Virginia came forward and said this is where she was raped or allegedly. Sorry, we have to yes. say allegedly. Oh, I don't you think know, so. Was... He's dead. We don't have to say allegedly. I think she says she was <laughs> raped and he's dead. So you know what? No defamation there, ma'am. Yeah. Well, I actually had somebody say we need to indict him immediately. I'm like, um, <laughs> I guess we could. <laughs> well, I guess if people believe in necrophilia, maybe we can have posthumous oh. posthumous indictments. Now, that wouldn't that be interesting to have a posthumous? And I think there's a constitutional problem there. But seriously, let's get back to the bill. You have a bill for the automatic death penalty for child rapists, sex assaulters, traffickers, and, of course, necrophiliacs, much to the chagrin of yeah. the Democrats, who I guess are standing up for part of their constituents. I, listen, I can't do anything. <laughs> if the borders. Democrats decide to say, we can't have a law against necrophilia, which constituency are you representing, you Democrats? Apparently, they're voter base. I guess. I well, oh, yeah. I you know what? Know. I missed that one altogether. I, I should have I should have seen fun. that one coming at me. But yeah, this I, is know. this is a sick society. How do we rescue it, Representative Lord? You know, I don't know. Sometimes I, I think, did we die? Did we go to upside down land? I don't know what has happened in our society, but it is spiraling out of control. Everything is spiraling out of control. It's nothing like when you and I were kids. Everything was normal. We had a great society. And now quickly, especially in New Mexico, we're becoming this uh, place where we have got necrophilia. We just uh, decriminalized, we just criminalized bestiality last year. We were the last state to do that. So I, I don't know what is going on, but I know that there's a lot of problems. Everything seems to be broken in New Mexico. But what everybody needs to watch out for, this is where they're applying all these kind of very progressive socialist bills. 
Like we've got gun, you know, the uh, gun bill that Heinrich was going to do that go safe. They're drafted yep. it here. We're going to do it here in New Mexico. Good. So uh, we're, we're the stomping ground for uh, taking gun rights away. Worst schools in the nation, worst place to live. Worst health care. We have it all right here in New Mexico. And I mean, doesn't sad, anybody, you're people. the land of enchantment, right? Doesn't anybody um, want to have nice, wholesome ideas like that instead of saying the land of Jeffrey Epstein and necrophilia? I mean, that, that's not exactly a good calling card when it comes. And I, I'm not making light of the, the crimes that are committed. No. I'm making light of the crazy politicians. You know, I, for the life of me, I can't understand why this isn't just I, however many. What do you got? 90 people in both houses? Yeah, and they're, okay. they're not going to. It's probably not going to go anywhere. And let me tell you, what? for those of you who have been in New Mexico... You mean the Democrats are going to say, we can't outlaw necrophilia? That, that's nuts. Why do you think I went to the press? I'm trying to make as much of a big deal about this to get the people involved, because, you know, most people don't pay attention to a lot of stuff that's going on in politics. And again, if you've been here, this is a beautiful state with amazing people. The majority of people here are moderate Hispanic Democrat. They don't believe in what the progressives believe in, but the party's been hijacked. So I've got a lot of Democrats here that I love. I've been to their houses at Matanzas, broken bread with them. But these radical progressives have taken over and they're destroying the state and the nation. Yeah, they are. And I have been to your state. Tina and I have have gone to your state and and we spent a week driving around New Mexico. It was great because we got to see everything on the ground and, you know, went to Bandelier, went to Bandelier, went to the labs. Tina wasn't, well, she's not a nerd like me. So she, my wife, is not a nerd like me. And she said, I don't know if I want to go to a science lab. She came out of that place with a stack of books and said, oh, this place is fascinating. And I said, well, there's there's a win that I didn't expect. But you do have a wonderful state. But we've got it. I, you know, I'm, I'm as frustrated as you are. And I've been in states where they didn't out, have bestiality outlawed. And then all of a sudden they have some guy who's l- literally doing the Equus thing, you know, you know, yeah. you know yeah. and you're like, hold on, don't we have a law against that? Nope, sorry. Uh, we didn't put one on the books. So we're going to have to put one on the books for every freakish thing the left comes up with. I know. I know. And I had somebody who said, well, you only presented one case. I did one that was in the media. I don't want to talk about what I learned about. I, I talk with a lot of law enforcement, people that are boots on the ground. I hear stories that nobody wants to hear. But you know what? I'm going to go forward. I'm going to present the bill. I'm going to try to push it. I doubt it will go anywhere, sadly. Um, you know, we have a big problem with our kids that, that are in abusive situations and what they call it here is CYFD for children. I drafted a bunch of bills to keep uh, kids safe. They passed a, beer, a bill here that if you are a parent, uh, you're a woman and you Oh, can you say woman anymore? Oh, yes, you can. Know. We you're, you're well, woman, I know what one is. And you, and you give birth to a child. If you are a drug addict, an active drug addict, they have decided that it's better to give the baby back to the mother and babies are dying. Because- Unbelievable. That is Representative Stephanie Lord. If you want information about the bill, go to our website. We'll provide it all. Representative Lord, thank you very, thank you very much. And I'll get to your phone calls and emails in a moment. You got the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. All men and the people who love them. The Zoom meeting you actually want to be at. 
This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm glad to get to your phone calls and emails. i got to give you one piece of breaking news that came out this afternoon, and that is New York City has now filed a massive lawsuit for $700 million. And who are they suing? The bus companies that are bringing illegal aliens from Texas to the Big Apple. Now, here's what's crazy about this. Joe Biden has been transporting illegal aliens at our taxpayer expense from Texas and other border states all the way to the big cities in America. Apparently, the big city mayors like Eric Adams don't have any problem if Joe Biden sends the illegal aliens. He's not suing those bus companies. Instead, he wants to sue the bus companies that are doing it at the behest of people like the Texas governor, Greg Abbott, who sent uh, illegal aliens to blue cities around America. The Lone Star State has sent out 33,000 illegal aliens to the city between August of 2022 and December. So end of uh, this last year, December 29th of 2023. So in a little over a year, about 33,000 illegals. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the roughly what, 300,000 illegals who pour across the border into Texas every single uh, every single month at this point? And yet uh, New York is going to file a lawsuit. The lawsuit says that companies have violated Section 149 of the New York Social Services Law, which requires any person who knowingly brings or causes to bring a needy person from out of state into this state for the purpose of making him a public charge shall be obligated to convey such person out of the state or support him at his own expense. Well, the fact is, is that Joe Biden is telling us we need all these illegal aliens. We have to we have to welcome them to the country. It's crazy. Adams says he's looking to recoup seven hundred million dollars that New York City has already spent to care for illegal aliens sent here in the last two years by Texas. Texas didn't send them to New York. Texas helped move them from Texas to New York. Joe Biden brought them into the United States of America. Why doesn't Eric Adams sue Joe Biden instead? Here calls now. Let's go. Uh, let's go to Victor. Hey, Victor, welcome to the Lars Larson Show on Conspiracy Theory Thursday. What's on your mind? Oh, thank you. It is obvious to me there is a conspiracy by our own government to bring the U.S. down to South American standards, which is a socialist dictatorship under which the populace will live in poverty and uh, probably brutality, and uh, where the people will be basically, under that kind of government, the people are the slaves of the government, and the government will uh, make them do whatever they want down on the street level. Yep. And uh, it don't make any sense to me. It's hard for me to, to comprehend why they would even want to do that when we've had such a good country. But that's what's going on. It's obvious. And, and the fact that the American people want to be slaves of the government well, I think that was brought about by the the public schools for many years now have been teaching them that everybody should be dependent upon the government and those people that uh, make their own way and, and sometimes get fairly rich doing it, but they're honest, and then they bring the wealth down to others, and we had a growing economy and industry and everything, and they say that's bad, basically, the way I understand they're teaching in the schools, and now we have that populace that's growing up, and they're running the show seems like and they're much think about this victor think how much more compliant a voter base you have as an elite democrat or even an elite rhino republican if you say we're going to make these people dependent on the government we're going to get them on even if we can't get them all the way to welfare we'll make them so dependent on government contracts government giveaways government this that and the other thing but if you have self-sufficient people 
people who, like in America, uh, have been proud to say, I work in a profession, I make good money. I don't need to answer to the government. I'll pay my taxes, but you're not going to tell me what to do. That's not a compliant society. The, the governments like Joe Biden, and I think like Barack Obama, and ultimately like Klaus Schwab of the WEF, they want a compliant group of people who are dependent on you know the government. It, it's the same way that occasionally you'll run into a parent who says, I really don't want my kid to move away to another city or take another job somewhere else. So if you can make that kid dependent on mom and dad, where they can't quite make it comfortably on their own, so they stay tied to mom and or to mom's apron strings or dad's business or whatever. Um, that at the end of the day, there are some people who like that. I don't like it. I want everybody to be as self-sufficient as they possibly can be. Let me go to uh, Bill in Tennessee. Hey, Bill, thanks for listening on KWAM, the home of Todd Starnes. What's on your mind today? Uh, good evening. Good evening, Lars. I was listening to your conversation with a woman from New Mexico that represented She's great. Awesome. Absolutely. I couldn't get enough of that. But I was going to tell you just a short story. Before I do, I want to tell you that last caller, he's talking about globalization. Yeah, That's what is. this is all about. It's yep. totally about globalization. But with respect to um, New Mexico, I've worked with the Convention of States. I don't know if I ever told you that. I've been on your show several times. And one of the things I've been doing is trying to call around different states to the different representatives and talk about Convention of States. Don't remember who this was in New Mexico. I've got it written down at home, and I'm driving. But he said, when I told him, you know, I was working with Convention of States, and this is about a balanced budget and two term limits, you know, term limits, not anything else at this point. The the comment literally was something to the effect of, well, that's never going to happen in New Mexico because we don't want term limits. We don't want a balanced budget. What? In so many words. Yeah, it was uh, incredible. I was just... And I think it's really more because it's a Republican-generated uh, thing. <laughs> can't think of a good word. Well, the, because it's yeah. connected to the Republicans, the idea of spending within your means is some foreign idea. And if it came from Republicans, exactly. then it must be toxic. It was. And this is the mentality of New Mexico. I've got a cousin that just moved out of New Mexico just for this reason, just because of the, the Democrat mentality in that state. It's like California and, and New York. They're just running people out. Well, you know what's crazy about this? Every, er, almost every state in America is required to run a balanced budget. They can't spend more than they take in every year. How is it so difficult to say, and our federal government should run things the same way? Bill, thank you very much. I appreciate the call. Let's go to uh, Mike. Hey, Mike, welcome to the Lars Larson Show. What's on your mind? Yeah, um I uh, was listening to you about having the thousands and millions of uh, military-age men coming into our country from yeah. the countries that they despise living in. Why don't we start a global military and and train them, and then we just go back and take over their country and put our <laughs> flag up next to theirs, and then use their national debt to to you know if they want America so bad, let's take America to them. Well, I'll tell you what, Mike. I'm not in favor of the United States becoming an empire. Uh, that we've been accused of being that by the likes of Barack Obama. But why would we want to take over somebody else's country? They they run their own show. We have no interest in taking over somebody else's country. And as famously has been said, we only ask for enough room, uh, land, to bury our dead. 
So and why would we want to make an international military? That would have to be under some kind of international control. That sounds more like the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab's fever dreams of making us all have to answer to one world government. I don't want that. I want American sovereignty and every other country to have its own sovereignty. Yeah, but take our methods to them. I mean, Fords would be made in America again if we took over Mexico. But, you know, let them have their flag as a state and then we'd be the country. And then and you do this by force or by persuasion? I would do it by force. You'd take Mexico. I'm not, I'm not sure I'd want to take Mexico, but OK, that's that sounds very, very interesting. Let me see if we can get Ron in quickly. Ron, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? The main point is this. Out of that extra two billion dollars deficit, four hundred twelve billion dollars this year has been spent. Uh, because of the illegal aliens, the invading forces come across our borders. You multiply that by three years, that's one point two trillion. Yep. Plus an extra four to six hundred billion dollars on top of that by the states, by the taxes increase, by the lack of service to us veterans to get hospital care and everything. And I'm a victim of it right now. And Joe Biden is willing to take all that money and spend it on illegal aliens and shortchange America's veterans. Ron, thanks for the call. You got the Lars Larson Show. need a dose of pessimism now and then. So I turn to my friend Seat Motley, the president of Less Government, who's convinced that the wheels are coming off the bus right about now. Good afternoon, sir. Well, tell me this. Where, where are we going at this point? Because the country seems to be getting crazier and crazier. The Democrats are going crazy, saying we're not even going to let Americans vote and choose the candidates they want. They will vote for the candidates we tell them to vote for, you know, communist style. And uh, well, and then we've got a Congress that doesn't seem to want to do its job or even budget. And that's one of the things you wrote about recently, saying we had a budget process in America that hasn't actually been used since 1996, where the Congress actually passes a budget for the coming year uh, and, and ahead of the coming year. Uh, and, and they're not doing it. And they've just decided we're, we're just not going to do our jobs. Well, I know this is passe, but they're actually breaking the law. Because the law says they have to go through the budget process, which is 12 separate appropriation bills, and they get debated and knocked back and forth between the House and the Senate, and then they get passed by the House and the Senate, and the president signs it, and then it's a law, and then it's a budget. And, of course, they don't want to do that because that would invite scrutiny of all the money they're spending, and they don't want scrutiny of the $6-plus trillion a year they're spending. So instead, they budget by continuing resolution. Again, it's illegal. It's not going through the budget process. And because of the perpetual brinksmanship, and we've convinced ourselves that the absolute, you know, the the government shutting down is the equivalent of the earth crashing into the sun. (laughs) uh, um, When, of course, the, the Constitution gave that power to Congress as the preeminent uh, stopgap on over overactive government is to shut down the government so they can't spend money. That's that's the power of the purse. And you know we've we've cre- we've we've created this instance that oh my goodness, shutting down the government is the is the worst of all time. And therefore and therefore we can't have that happen. And that becomes the focus. 
are we or are we not going to pass a continuing resolution which continues all spending at current levels plus 3% here, 5% there, 8% there, and therefore the, 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 sh- the focus shifts from how are they spending the money to, well, we've got to keep them spending the money or else the government's going to shut down. Well, and, and in fact, course- wouldn't, wouldn't we be in a position now where the Republican, at least some of the Republicans are now saying, if Joe Biden won't bring the border under control, his, our definition, not his definition, meaning stop as many illegal aliens as possible, get it back to the Trump level. If you won't do that, we'll simply turn off the, the money, except they have to turn That's it off right. to the entire government. It's like wanting to change one light switch in your house so the electrician says well i have to turn off all of your power to fix one switch well, instead that, of just turning off not, that circuit that's not even a, that's not even a good analogy because 87 percent of the government remains open when it's quote-unquote shut down right when the funding stops 80 i think it's 87 i think i'm remembering properly i think it's 87 or 83 i'm getting the three and the sevens mixed up but it's over 80 percent of the government is still going um, and as my as, as a friend of mine points out, the government shuts down every weekend. The, the, the government's not working on Saturday and Sunday. And, of course, the, the reason they don't want to shut down is, and, you, you know, remember the last time we had a shutdown, you had all those stupid news stories about the Boy Scouts who came from Washington State to D.C. and couldn't go to the Lincoln Memorial because it was shut down. And the, 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 what they're, I think, ultimately afraid of is, they're going to no one's going to miss the government being closed you know no, in fact, the government. I, I, I remember they used to refer to it seaton as the close the washington monument school of government which said you know anytime we're we're short of money we just close the washington monument and when people show up and say i want to tour the monument or the lincoln memorial which is wide open anyway you know you just walk through it oh no the park rangers aren't there you can't walk through the memorial um, that you you close that and then you tell taxpayers who show up. I'm sorry, we can't do this till you give us more money. Do you want to give us more money? And and they get public pressure on their side. It's stupid. There was an Obama shut. There was a shutdown during Obama, and he actually spent more money than he would. I mean, if he just left the memorial open, it was the <laughs> uh, the World War II memorial, which is open. There's there's, there's no doors. Yeah, he no, there are no doors on it at all. And and he actually spent more money than just leaving it alone to post guards to prevent people from walking into the wide open World War II memorial. And and, and, and you and you're right you're right about the, the, the they, they grab the tug the heartstrings. Whenever you want to you want whenever you say, gee, I'm paying an awful lot in property taxes, what's the first thing they throw at you? Teachers and firefighters, you don't want to fund <laughs> teachers and firefighters. Um, you know, that's that's the that's what they do. And, um, and of course, given what we know now about teachers, uh, by the way, how about, I, just as a sidelight, this idiot gay made $900,000 a year yeah. teaching nonsense, not as president. So here's a thought. Take 80%, 90% of her salary and give it to the high school teachers in Boston. I can how, go how about for that. We do that? And, and by yeah. the way, did you notice, <laughs> it sounds like being president of Harvard is mostly a change in your business cards because she went from she was uh, dean of arts and and uh, let's see arts and letters or something you know something with right. without a job at the other end other than Starbucks and she went from eight hundred and sixty seven thousand dollars a year to eight hundred and ninety thousand I thought 
You got to be president of Harvard and all you got was a twenty-three a $23,000 raise for most people is a lot of money. But when you go from 867 to 890. Yeah, as, a percentage of the, as a percentage of the population, it's nothing. And that <laughs> makes you wonder again, is everybody making $900,000 a year? It sounds like it. Sense? Wasn't and, Joe making 900000 for the no-show job at UPenn? I mean, he, I mean, I mean, it would be, it would almost be a, a lateral move for for uh, Hunter Biden to go from uh, Ukraine to Harvard. Um, he he, he but, could teach art. He could teach painting. He could teach. Yes, with his yes, he's he's blowing through the straws, exhaling rather than inhaling. <laughs> um, but 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 also, this gets us back to you're paying this idiot to teach nothing nine hundred thousand dollars a year, and now you want plumbers and electricians to bail out the college students on their student loans i don't think so i i you know what seaton maybe it's maybe it's driven by my background of a year and a half of college and i left before the indoctrination but i i, I look at these people and i say hey 70 percent of americans have never had a shot at a college degree whether they wanted one or not so they didn't get to right. sit in a college classroom for anything other than maybe a community college class. And you want the 70% who never went to college to pay for this relatively small percentage of people who went, got a worthless degree. They couldn't turn into a job that was lucrative enough and, to pay the money back and easily. And remember, what's, why, why do they tell us to, that we need to go to college? To improve our earnings after college. But yeah, now except, you're at, they except you college. can't get a degree that ends in the word studies. Any one of them that ends in the word studies leads you straight to Starbucks or maybe even Denny's. That's Seat Motley, the president of Lust Government. It's a pleasure to be with you. Your calls are welcome at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Check out my Instagram feed and tell Alexa to play the Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. I may be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette. And my cat, Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you on what we like to call Conspiracy Theory Thursday. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. I want to talk about political bias among journalists, but first, I want to get to your phone calls because we don't call this the best conversation in talk journalism for nothing. So if you want to join that conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. And if you're a naysayer, we're going to put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. You can send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And if you want to vote in our X poll, the poll on X, we're still working on the title that used to be called the Twitter poll. Here's today's question. If Joe Biden will not stop the illegal alien invasion, should Republicans simply shut down the federal government as some of them have threatened to do? My answer to that would be yes. Joe Biden has two choices. Keep the border open. Government closes down. Close down the border. Government stays open. One way or the other, that's the way it works. 
you can vote. I've already given a yes. You can vote any way you like at Lars Larson Show and at LarsLarson.com. Brought to you by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. AMAC has the conservative values I've always believed in. I would never go near AARP. It's a terrible liberal organization. I joined, and you should too. Just go to amac.us or call 888-262-2006. AMAC is better, better for you and better for America. Now, I want to go first to a naysayer because we always put naysayers first, have for, what, 27 years or so. Joy's on the line from California. Hey, Joy, what's on your mind? Your comment about the um, extent that mass shootings are performed or done by transgender people is completely out of line. It's not even close to being accurate. Why? Um, Well, if you look at the data, um, and there's data from just in March, so even if you count this one, if you have information... In Nashville and a number of others that we could count. But but no, it's it's like they, they identified five, I think, since the early 2000s, and that makes it like 0.1% of the mass shootings. 99% are cisgender males. Well, so let's see. The Colorado spring shooter identified. Let's, let me give you a list. Colorado spring shooter identified as non-binary. That's true. The Denver shooter identified as trans. The Aberdeen shooter identified as trans. The Nashville shooter identified as trans. And the Uvalde shooter identified as trans. When you've got that kind of pattern, Joy, let me put the number to you this way. The best sexual research in America says that about two-thirds of 1% of the population identifies as transgender. Two-thirds of 1%. That means out of every, let's see, what would it be, 1,000 shootings, we should see maybe eight or nine shootings that involve a transgender person. Have we seen numbers that are dramatically above that? thing about it is that they are well, more you're just going to hold on joy you're just going to no. ignore my question and move okay, on to something no, else no, i want no, an answer to the not, question we, still, okay, out of a hundred okay, shootings okay, we should see less to figures from the gun violence archive there have been 131 mass shootings this year um and there have been 647 in 2022 and you know how you can gimmick those numbers joy and I, i'm going to tell you i'm going to if you care at all about the numbers I'm, no, uh, hold but- on, Joy. I'll, I'll tell you how they gimmick the numbers. You say there have been 131 mass shootings so far this year in the first four days? No, 2023. Oh, okay, all of last year. So 130 yeah. mass shootings. How they define a mass shooting, in fact, this one, because it involves five people shot but only one dead, wouldn't even qualify under some definitions of mass shootings. But what they'll well, define they, is... Even when they look at both four killed and four wounded, they provided data for both categories. Again, it's nowhere near. And let me, would you care to know why? Because if you don't care to know why, I won't bother to tell you, and I'll move on to another subject. Here's why, why, Joy, because when the anti-gun groups want to count a large number and say, we need a big number, we can't go with 10 or 12. We have to have a number in the hundreds. So what they do is they define any shooting that involves anything, you know, any kind of mass shooting, including 
gangbanger shootings, which are driven more by drug territory, by by rivalries between different criminal organizations. When you include them, yes, most of them are going to be cisgendered people. But when you talk about the people who, like this one did, walks into a school in Iowa, shoots six people, one dies, five are wounded, then you say... There's something different about that. If you've got the garden variety shootings where gangs, you know, will retaliate against another gang or drug dealers will retaliate against another drug dealer. Yeah, most of those are going to involve straight white or straight males of various uh, ethnic backgrounds. Joy, thanks for the call. Let's go to Jeff. Hey, Jeff, thanks for listening on KIDO. What's on your mind today? Well, I wanted to give you a different take on the student loan uh, deal. Um it, it, for the past 40, 50 years, when you pursue a degree, an undergraduate degree, BS or BA, about yep. half of that, about half of those credits go to um, art. They go to classes that have nothing to do with you. So say if you do have a criminal justice degree, I mean, half your, half your credits <clears throat> are, are in classes that have nothing to do with what you're going to do. Does and that depend on which school you go to? No, no, no. You, it doesn't? You can go to the most conservative school. No, not well. well okay, I guess. Yeah, it I does. take that back. I mean, if we're talking about Liberty University, gotcha. But you well, how about Hillsdale? Vega. Well, what, but all, what, all I'm no, saying is if, if you but say... We're talking 40 years worth of education. And if I, you I understand that, a, Jeff. A, a but, job, but let me ask you something. When, when you go to buy a car, if you're going to go buy a new car, you might be spending 40 grand, right? Sure. You might even spend a hundred grand, depending on what you're going to buy. Would you carefully consider? <laughs> would you carefully consider every single thing about that vehicle before you lay down a promise to repay forty, okay. sixty, okay. eighty, or a hundred grand? Okay. Think of this: in Idaho, you have to have a college degree, a four-year degree, to be a, a crim, uh, excuse me, to be um, a probation officer or a parole officer. You have to have that degree. If you don't work your way up in prison administration, maybe someday be a superintendent, you have to have a master's degree. I mean, it's hoops that you have to jump through. And so it, this has been going on since the 60s. I, I get and, all that, Jeff, and, and, but you when you decide where to go to school, do you carefully consider what does this school require and how much of it actually applies to what I want to learn it's how to do and time, then make a choice? time. At the time, that's the only school that we could afford was a public university. You, we couldn't go to Gonzaga back back. I'm not talking about a private school. I, I'm not a big fan of private schools. Well, uh, that, that's the only place you're going to get some of your, your deviancy. deviancy. Do, you, do you know that, <laughs> that in Texas, uh, let me tell you something, Jeff. In Texas, Texas, about a decade or more ago, created a system where you could get a four-year degree for $10,000, not 10000 a year, $10,000. And they had 10 different schools in the state of Texas, and one of those degrees was in criminal justice, and you would have ended up with no debt at all. Back in a moment, you got the Lawrence Larson Show.
Larson Show live at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and emails at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. So Harvard's first black and second female president has resigned as president of the university, although she kept her gig teaching at the school for now, even though she makes almost as much money doing that as she did as president of Harvard. She was there all of six months. Is that development a positive or a negative for Americans and black Americans in particular? I thought we'd throw that question at our friend Horace Cooper, who's senior fellow with the National Center for Public Policy Research and co-chair of the Project 21 National Advisory Board. Uh, Horace, it's good to have you back and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you, too. It's always a pleasure to come on the program. Is it a good thing that Claudine Gay is no longer president of Harvard and she's had to take that big demotion back to be, uh, I guess, faculty dean, making just like, like I was it four bucks, four bucks an hour less for that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So here's what's good. What's good is that Harvard has recognized what America knows, that the most talented and the most capable people ought to hold positions of leadership, and that the mediocrity, that is Dr. Gay, should not have been in that post. Um, There are people like Al Not-So-Sharpton who go around saying that DEI is the friend of black America and minorities, but it's not true. DEI is the enemy of black Americans and minorities. The truth of the matter is, High standards are always the best friend of the individual or any particular, even larger, minority group. If you can demonstrate mastery, exceptionalism in a particular field, people don't question your presence. They accept it and they understand. But if the only people that we see in positions of prominence or mediocrities, it's easy to erroneously conclude to be a member of the minority is to be a mediocrity. (laughs) Why isn't Condoleezza Rice sitting as the president of Harvard? There are plenty of amazing and and talented people in America. But if you ended up with a black person, she still would be head and shoulders among those competing. She has done well at Stanford. She is an academic. She's a former secretary of state. She has managerial skills. Her writings are stellar. If you wanted someone to lead the ship, she would be an amazing choice. But instead, what we're getting with DEI is the David Duke vision. Black people can't have these positions unless you lower the standards. That's what David Duke believes. And apparently, so does former President Obama. Sadly so. It is a disservice. And and Horace, how how much of the choice of Claudine Gay was not about her gender, was not about her race, and the not not choosing Condoleezza Rice, Dr. Rice, or Amb- uh, Secretary Rice, was about her politics. Because Condoleezza Absolutely. Rice, while not as conservative as I'd like her to be, 
is a conservative still and all, whereas Claudine Gay is full on to the far left. Absolutely. So if you want to get a wokester, well, you have to pick from mediocrities. That's the whole thing. You can't get exceptional. You can't get. And if they're out there, please stand up. Show us that you're both woke and super talented, that you actually can break down pi to the 19th decimal. <laughs> These kinds of details and skills, we're not seeing them. We don't see them at Penn. Um, we don't see them in this Ivy League world. We don't see it at MIT. What we see is a commitment to the radical woke agenda. And they love finding people who will embrace it, but they do so at the expense of high standards. And that brings me fully back to David Duke, who believes that you could never have blacks in these positions unless you had lower standards. It's well, not only that, but idea. Horace, can I, let me suggest this to you. I think America is being engineered to create a dependent class of citizens, just Absolutely. average folks. Okay, but if you take it to the upper ranks, what if you have a person, you say, we want to put somebody in charge of Harvard. Somebody's got to be president, uh, but we want somebody we can control. Now, if you put a highly capable Condoleezza Rice, Dr. Rice, as I said, she's not as conservative as I wish she was, but she's a very admirable person. Uh, I've met her on a couple of occasions, and she's very, very smart, as you point out. I mean, to be provo at Stanford, to, you know, have all yeah. these academic credentials, hold the position she holds at, at, at Hoover and all, uh, she's very capable. If you put a capable person in there, like you, Horace, and then they say, hey, Horace, you're going to be doing this, and you say, no, I'm not. And they say, yes, you are. You have to because otherwise you'll lose your job. You say, okay, fire me. I'll go to work at 10 other universities tomorrow. And they'll all want me because of my skills and talents. On the other hand, if you have a Claudine Gay who has degrees that I'm not sure have much use in the real world, she can teach the subjects, but she doesn't have much of a record of publication, which is usually a big deal right. with academics. She, she's not, right. not written a single book. She's written 11 articles. And if she's had 50 instances of plagiarism to write 11 articles, it sounds like she borrowed virtually everything she claimed to have written. So if you threaten to fire her, she's going to say, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And, and I'll, right. I'll jump right to it because, 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 because I don't want to lose mediocrity. this game. Yeah. There isn't any great option out in the real world. And this is the lesson that I want your audience to understand. Tell your kids, don't be a mediocrity. Be outstanding. It doesn't matter to me what your particular avocation is. Be the best at it. And when someone tells you, well, I'll fire you unless you do this terrible thing that violates your principles, your vision, or even your love of country, You've got amazing talent, and you can go someplace else. These people don't have that, and they're never going to get that. I said this on Hannity's show. I've written more books than Dr. Gay, and I'm not asking to be president of Harvard. It is remarkable to me how thin, how thin. And once you peel back all of the plagiarism, I don't know what you have left in terms of what she has written. I mean, it's just pitiful. And yet, 
What did Al Sharpton say? She was targeted. Same thing she did, by the way. That she was targeted because of her race. She was not targeted because of her race. I wouldn't let her manage the late night shift at McDonald's <laughs> because she's a mediocrity. Well, tell me this, Horace. There is a side question. That is, I think if a lot of people realize for the first time how much university professors get paid. Now, I understand you have to pay for expertise or talents and skills, and we've already discussed that part of it. How in the world do you command eight or $900,000 a year to teach classes at a college? Because you'd think the college would say, there got to be smarter people out there who'd come and do this for 200000 or even 100000 No, 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 no. The higher you're paid, the less likely you're actually going to see students. The less likely you're going to face students. Um, I was a law professor for three years. I was an assistant professor of law teaching constitutional law. Very good. And it would have been wonderful if there were two, three, four, or five hundred thousand uh, dollar <laughs> salary streams associated with that. But the people that earned that kind of money weren't actually interfacing with students. Now, this school year, we've already picked our classes. We already know what the schedule is going to be. You did that before the Christmas break. Yep. She's not teaching this spring. No, she won't be, but she'll still be making almost $900,000 a year. That's Horace Cooper, Senior Fellow at the National Center for Public Policy Research. It's Conspiracy Theory Thursday, and you're listening to The Lars Larson Show. The Lars Larson Show. Podcast every show at LarsLarson.com. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show on this Conspiracy Theory Thursday night. I want to tell you about the massacre of Nigerian Christians, which seems to be largely ignored by most of the major media. You'll hear a lot of sympathy for the Palestinians, and I think a lot of deserved sympathy for the state of Israel that was attacked by terrorists. But Nigerian Christians, tens of thousands of them dead. Nobody seems to care all that very much, but let me get to that in a moment. First, I want to take a couple of your calls. Valerie is on the line from California, and if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. Naysayers always go to the head of the line. If you want to email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com, and you can vote in our Twitter poll or X poll. You can find it at Lars Larson Show and on our website at LarsLarson.com. Valerie, welcome to the program. What's on your mind? Thank you for having me. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine. What's on your mind? Well, I'm I'm just shocked, appalled, and think it's atrocious that this woman makes nine hundred thousand dollars a year. No wonder colleges are so expensive. <laughs> and if you would lower the price, even as her being eight hundred thousand as a teacher, this is terrible. They need to lower the prices so people can afford to go to college. Not I, only I are the debts, the debts for these young people, but these people a lot of times aren't even in their classrooms. They're hiring student teachers to teach 
and yeah. making thousands and thousands of dollars. I think it's awful. I, I agree. And Valerie, it's one of the reasons I know that people disparage for-profit colleges. I've never gone to a for-profit college and I don't have any ownership interest in any of that. So I don't have a dog in the fight. But think about the, the think about the pressures that are on the average private sector company. I mean, no matter what kind of company, a plumbing shop, a, a fast food joint, whatever it is, you have financial pressures. And why are they? You want to produce the best product you possibly can with the best materials and the best labor in the best location, but all of those cost money. So you balance those interests against, well, how much can we charge our customers? I mean, if you said, I want to open up a fast food place in California where Valerie lives, and I want to serve hamburgers made, of, made out of Wagyu steak, and I want to have them put together by really smart chefs who have massive education in cooking and all this, and you say, okay, you're going to have a $50 hamburger. You know, and, and nobody's going to buy it. So you have to respond to that. Private institutions or even state colleges just simply say, we have to pay our professors hundreds of thousands of dollars and damn the consequences because they know that most of their students are borrowing money. And in this case, a lot of their students seem to think that the American taxpayer is simply going to fund all this nonsense and pay off the bill for them later on. And, and you get the, the inflation of the cost of college. I agree with you. I mean, imagine if you were running a for-profit or, or even a not-for-profit that had to live within its means. Um, you would say, we're going to hold our costs as low as we can. We'll hold our, our tuition as low as we can. We'll get the maximum number of students, and we'll pay professors what we have to pay to get the expertise we need. I mean, Valerie, uh, I, I, I've got a, there's a person who's in my extended family who's a plumber, Right makes about $165,000 a year. You say that's an extraordinary amount, but he has skills, uh, and they're skills that are in demand right now, so he can command that kind of money. I'm sure that college professors want to command that kind of money too. But Horace was right when he said, the higher you go in salary, the fewer students you see, to the point where there was a college uh, a few years ago that was bragging that they were bringing on a Nobel Prize laureate and uh, they were going to pay him an amazing salary. And it was a state, u a state university. And I remember making a big deal of it because they announced proudly that he would be teaching no classes. And they even said he wasn't going to be doing much in the way of writing or research. He was basically there as a rainmaker to say, we've got a famous guy on the letterhead of the university. He doesn't teach. He doesn't research. He doesn't write. We just pay him a big pile of money so he can brag on it. And Valerie... I think there's a level of fraud to this as well, because I remember I went to school for about a year and a half. I didn't get a degree, and that's okay. Um, but when I looked at the catalog, they brag, so-and-so has written so many books and has all these awards and is, is brilliant in physics or, or whatever they're brilliant in. And you say, but, but the one question they don't tell you in that college catalog is, well, how many teachers, how many times will I take a class and actually have that man or woman standing in front of me teaching from this vast knowledge they have? The higher ranking they go, the less they see students at all. Right. And the whole point of college is so that the next generation can be educated. And if you've got people that are plagiarizing or cheating or coming, then these people are saying they have that information and knowledge, and they really don't. So now they're teaching. Say you have an attorney that cheated his way through college. You need him in a courtroom. He doesn't really know what he's doing because he didn't act.
actually study. He cheated. And this is what bothers me, is you've got a generation of children out there who are being robbed of an education and being taught by people who haven't done the studying to know what they're talking about. And you know the other thing we have to do, Valerie? Let me ask you a personal question. Do you have any clothing or accessories like purses or shoes or whatever that have famous names on them? Well, only because I buy them, but I don't really go by whether they have a famous name. I no, I under, you, you want to look at a purse, you know, like you might be like my wife. She said, I really like that purse. And I'll sometimes kid her. And sometimes they're, you know, something with a name. And sometimes it's just no name. She just likes the way it looks. But what's that happened in America is if you have a degree hanging on your wall that says Stanford, Harvard, Yale, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, there are companies that will hire you. You know, they, they'll look at your skills and talents, but they'll also say, if he came from State College, Texas or something, you know, if they'll say, well, right. you know, nobody knows about that college. They're like people who want to buy a car because it says Porsche on it or because it says Mercedes-Benz or something. And you say, but is it the best car? And you say, well, I don't know, but it's a Mercedes. You know, it's, it's, right. it, the name means everything, even if the product really isn't there. And until you get people brave enough in business to say, I don't care if you have a Stanford degree, do you know how to do what you train to do? And if you don't, I don't care whether it says Harvard or not. But they've created this system where it's like, and, and, and I guess I shouldn't be surprised, Valerie. Um, I used to get a kick out of it. I, I don't travel that much anymore. But when I'd go to New York, if Tina went with me, we'd sometimes go down and wander around what's called, uh, what was it called? Uh, Canal Street, right? And Canal Street is full of shops where they're selling knockoff goods, you know? Okay. And, and, and we'd walk down this street and these little ladies would run up and they'd say, Prada, Prada, Louis, Louis, Gucci, Gucci. And what they were doing was they were saying, you come with me to this little store and I'll sell you a knockoff purse that says this on it. And we laughed at it because people wanted the, the name brand on there, Prada or Gucci or Louis, Louis Vuitton. And you say, do you really care whether it's a good product or not? Or do you just want the name on the outside of it? And it's kind of a sad way to go through your life to say, why well, I've got this thing that says Prada on it. It's really not a Prada purse, but the, the price was right, you know, and, and it still has the label on it so I can make everybody think that I've got the, the real item. You know, you've got to get away from that. And, uh, and, and, and until we do, as a society, I'm glad to see Harvard get the news. A lot of big companies say, hey, if you're coming from Harvard, we don't want anything to do with your graduates because your graduates yes. are coming from a very corrupt, flawed institution. Now, that's right. making a qualitative choice instead of just looking at the name brand, isn't it? So we're getting knockoff college professors. Yeah, you get a knockoff professor <laughs> who, who writes knockoff papers, and they produce <laughs> knockoff degrees. And, and right. I, 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 I'd really love to know if somebody could find a way to measure it. Is a, is a lawyer with Harvard in front of their name that much better than the really hard-working young man or woman who went to state college law school and actually knows the law and knows their stuff. That would be a fascinating study. Back in a moment, you're listening to The Lars Larson Show.
Spotify, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google. Yeah, he's everywhere. The Lars Larson Podcast. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. I got to tell you something. The guy I've been looking forward to talking to about the Epstein documents is none other than John Solomon. Now, John, I'll confess to you that I spent several hours last night reading through the, I didn't read all 950 pages, and there's been another batch of documents released today from the civil case involving Jeffrey Epstein in a defamation case. The the late, and I think murdered Jeffrey Epstein, although I'm not showing sympathy for him, he was a convicted pervert, and I don't show any sympathy for convicted perverts. So um, what are we going to learn from these documents and uh, and how much are the powerful, both politically and financially powerful in America, doing to fight the release of these documents? And what's the significance of that? Well, listen, I think the first thing, uh, take all the politics out for a second. This was yep. a heinous human trafficking, sex trafficking operation. And today there's an extraordinary document that's released by uh, the court. It's a deposition from Palm Beach Detective Joseph Riccari. He's a guy that cracked the case and he described the uh, tactics that Epstein and uh, Giselle Maxwell and others used to recruit young women into the sex trade, into this high sort of escort-like service. Uh, it is a reminder that people like this exist out there. Many of them can be politically connected, both the clients and the people who put these sort of sex trafficking rings together. Jeffrey Epstein represents the worst of human trafficking and sex trafficking. He didn't deserve the power structure he got, and yet many people looked the other way for a very long period of time. That said, when you go through the documents thus far, there's not a whole lot of new revelations. We now know the names that go with John Doe, but a lot of times we had matched up the names already. We know that uh, uh, Bill Clinton palled around with them. Uh, there's a couple sensational things like Bill Clinton liked his girls young, according to one witness. Uh, but Bill Clinton cut off his, his contact with Epstein about 20 years ago, yep. based on all the available evidence. <clears throat> Donald Trump's name came up, but Donald Trump is a guy that actually banned Jeffrey Epstein from coming to his Mar-a-Lago resort, according to documents that came out a couple of years ago. I don't think it broke a lot of ground. I think the biggest thing we should be aware of, sex trafficking and human trafficking is a major issue. This president, Joe Biden, has made it more easy for the cartels and sex traffickers and the Jeffrey Epsteins of 2024 to traffic young women from foreign countries, our country, we aren't being honest about that right now. The border debate that we have right now oftentimes overlooks this. I mean, we had a great movie last year. Thank God for that. That brought some awareness to it. Yep. But uh, in overall, the Jeffrey Epsteins, there are more Jeffrey Epsteins today than there were when Jeffrey Epstein was operating. And part of the reason for that is that Joe Biden's border policies have allowed human trafficking to explode at magnanimous amounts. Those are excellent points. Now, John, here's the thing I wonder, though, because... My wife and I have wondered, we've watched this case for a long time. We've watched yeah. every documentary. We've read everything we can read about, including an awful lot of Just the News, which John founded. And it's a great source of news, justthenews.com. But there must be still powerful people who could be implicated because those are the only ones with the juice, financial and otherwise, to fight to keep these documents from coming out. If these are documents about Joe Schmo, uh, you know, they'd have been released a long time ago. There were powerful people who fought, probably the Pritzkers and, and others, who fought against their release, and they're still fighting against their release. So there, does that mean I should conclude that there are things in some of the documents that haven't been released yet that, that would implicate some of these powerful people in sexual crimes, that, that there are powerful folks who don't want to see them released? 
What we know from the lawyers who worked in this case, what we know from the court proceedings uh, that were public before, is that most of the evidence of actual wrongdoing was already made public in the court, right? I don't think we're going to find somebody who said, oh, there was a whole series of rapes and it didn't come out in the court. We got through uh, the very gory and awful details of the Epstein sex ring. Some people may not be known. There may be some people. There could, they could be victims. Remember, John Doe's are not only just clients and associates. Some of them are victims. There yeah. are two people right now fighting them. We know one of them to be a woman. One of them appears to be a man. The only reason we know that is the pronouns being used in, in the court filings. But we don't know much more than that right now. And I think we have to wait and see. But our expectation from talking to lawyers and people who worked in the cases, there's not going to be any evidence of new and additional crimes. Maybe some associations and some people we didn't know. And, uh, uh, but that's it. And we also may be trying to protect some people who at one point or another were juvenile victims or juvenile participants in this um, trafficking. So I think we can't jump to too many conclusions at will. Uh, the judge has erred on the side repeatedly of releasing almost everything that he uh, could and she could. I think that's very important to realize. I think even with these recent requests, the, the presumption is going to be that the public has a right to know at this point, and I think more will be released. I don't think uh, any of these folks will prevail unless they're a victim. I do think victims have a strong argument to be made that they don't need to have their name splashed about after being victimized once before by... No, they, they, they don't. But, but, but John, I don't think me, we're going to get a lot more. I've done a lot of reporting on this. I don't think there's a lot more revelations in the court documents. There are a lot of places cops and lawyers never got to go, and that may be the place we should put our interest. Okay, and, and I'll go with you on that, because here are two mysteries. Mystery one, the Palm Beach police had a Loctite case, it seemed. Then it gets handed to the U.S. attorney, and basically he got off with with a slap on the wrist for the most he part. Sure did. Okay, that's right. That's 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 mystery number one. How yep. did that? How did the, all the players involved, judges, U.S. attorneys, right. and others? Because you could say, well, this U.S. attorney was influenced, or that judge was influenced. You would have had to have all of them sort of agree in concert. We're going to give him almost no punishment at all for that. Second. When one of the witnesses was on the stand in Maxwell's case, um, she was asked, well, what did Jeffrey say? He said, well, uh, or Ghislaine Maxwell say, well, she said, you'd be perfect for Jeffrey and his friends. And the obvious next question mm -hmm. was, well, who were some of those friends that you actually were forced to have sex with? And they That's never right. went there. And, and I want to know if some of those people who actually had sex with children committed one of the most heinous crimes there is, we're not being pursued and are today not being pursued. And will they ever be pursued? I don't believe any further uh, people will be pursued. The elite ruling class in Washington and the justice system has decided long ago that this was going to have a cap on it. It was not going to go anywhere else. There was a 2020 review that looked at the U.S. Attorney's Office, Alex Acosta, by the way, a George yep. W. Bush Republican appointee. And it concluded, and I think a lot of people agree with this conclusion who were involved in it, that the federal prosecutor, Alex Acosta, used poor judgment, that he should have brought more serious charges. Um, the judges were very deferential. Unfortunately, that's a problem we see in too many cases, not just Jeffrey Epstein. There's too much rubber stamping. That's how we got the FISA warrants that should never have been approved against Donald Trump. There is an entire Justice Department system that needs to be turned upside down and gotten back to the rule of law, not the rule of convenience and the rule of politics, which often does this. But I don't think people are going to dig any further. And that, I think, is a, a travesty. Time passes. Victims' memories go away. People want to move on from the life that they were once had, either because they're embarrassed or because they've healed from it. They don't want to open those wounds. I think this case has ended with Epstein's death and the release of these documents. That's unfortunate because not enough accountability was meted out to the people who used the sex ring 
and those who allowed Epstein to flourish when everybody knew as an open secret back in the late 2000s that this was a dirty man doing terrible things to young women. All of those people probably walk away unscathed. Uh, we will continue to dig, but there's not a lot more documents that can be had because the Justice Department, the FBI, and others simply didn't do the level of investigation that would create a record that we can now get to. And I think the Lars Larson Show. be a white boy, but I'm not stupid. This is the Lars Larson Show. Somebody at the White House has been smoking the devil's lettuce. Honestly provocative talk radio. More than half the women in my cabinet, more than more than half the people in my cabinet, more than half the women in my administration are women. Lars. Our beloved Lars. republic is in the hands of madmen. This is a dark day. No, here's your host. Almost lost my wife, my 67 Corvette, and my cat. Lars Larson. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to get to your phone calls and your emails. I want to ask you this. Should your taxpayer-funded libraries in your community, should they be stocking children's books? And in this case, we're not talking about LGBTQ. No, no, the librarians have already done a job on your kids with that. But should they be stocking children's books that called for intifada, that's fighting, the Muslims uh, deciding to make war on somebody else because of one grievance they've got or another, and erasing the state of Israel literally from the map? Would you be in favor of that? Well, it turns out it's being done, and uh, the group that's advocating for it is one we're very familiar with. Let me tell you about that in just a moment. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here every day even on Conspiracy Theory Thursday at uh, 866-HEY-LARS. And if you want to call in and you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line at 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. Get this. There is a front group for the Hamas terrorists in uh, in the Middle East. Uh, Hamas is the terrorist group that carried out the October 7th attack on Israel, the ones that murdered and raped and beheaded and burned babies and a lot of other absolutely horrific things. Well, their front group, their PR agency in America is known as CARE, the Council on American Islamic Relations. I've talked to the, uh, I've talked to people in gr the group CARE, including Ibrahim Hooper, who was once its front man. Well, guess what they're doing now? This anti-Israel group CARE, who actually the founder of the group, said that he was happy to see the Hamas attack on Israel, is now asking American local libraries to put children's books on the shelf that push propaganda against the very existence of the state of Israel, including one that says all of Israel belongs to Palestine. As uh, one wag pointed out, Palestine, the only country that didn't exist until it was occupied. Now, if you can imagine what's going on there, because... Palestine uh, allegedly came into existence in 1965. It doesn't have any borders. It doesn't have a president, doesn't have a prime minister, doesn't have any of those things, but they claim that it exists. And if you talk to people who talk about Palestine, you say, where is it? Where is its capital city? 
who governs it? Well, right now, who governs it is Hamas. The Council on American Islamic Relations, in late December, right about Christmas time, released its toolkit for Palestine Beyond Borders, which is quoted as saying, encouraging libraries and bookstores, this is in the United States, to feature book displays on Palestine and foster a deeper appreciation for the multifaceted aspects of Palestinian history. Now, what's inside of this toolkit? The Washington Free Beacon says that inside that toolkit are about a dozen different children's books, one of which calls on kids to unlock all the truths about Palestine and educate everybody about its true history. There's one book in there called Baba, What Does My Name Mean? I think Baba is grandmother, takes a fictional child on a journey to Palestine, and it even shows a map of what Palestine is. And you know what's funny about the map? Funny in a bad way is that uh, the map does not show Israel at all. All of the land that is currently the state of Israel has been since 1948 is occupied by this thing called Palestine that has never actually existed as a country. The map shows Tel Aviv and Haifa and other Israeli cities as part of Palestine. And the capital of the city they call Al-Quds, which is an Arabic name for Jerusalem. The book then ends by stating that through resistance and perseverance, Palestinians will one day be free. Now, I plan to check with the uh, you know, the libraries in my neck of the woods and say, hey, are you putting this book on the shelves? And if you are, what is it that you expect that kids are going to get out of being told that a country that currently exists should be replaced by a country that has never existed and that the state of Israel has no right to exist at all? Another book is called P is for Palestine, which promotes Palestinian intifada, which it says is Arabic for rising up for what is right if you're a kid or a grown-up. Another one of the books on the care list, Zane and Mima, Stand for Palestine, depicts two young children who are encouraged to protest against Israeli apartheid and call for a free, free Palestine. Now, this group, CARE, is the group that speaks out on behalf of the Hamas terrorists. So they'll carry out an act of terrorism. They say, wow, we were glad to see that happen. Can you imagine that kind of thing being in the library at your kid's school or in your local community library? And by the way, since most libraries in most places in America are taxpayer funded, I think all of us have something to say about what kind of political messages are being pushed. And frankly, I've told people before, when I was a kid, my mom had died when I was just 10. Uh, my dad was a, an alcoholic, full-blown full alcoholic. And so I spent an awful lot of my time in both the school library and the public library. The librarians were my friends. Today's librarians are nothing like that. Today's librarians have political agendas. They want to push uh, drag queen story hour for small children with all the implications that brings. Uh, they want to stock books like this, or some of them will stock books like this, to push political agendas, including LGBTQ and DEI, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which basically teaches kids that your future and your capabilities are determined by your skin color. I mean, it's the kind of idea that should have gone out with the Klan and cross-burning in the southern part of the United States decades and decades ago. Instead, today, we're seeing a modern version of it that says, yep, you're defined by your skin color. If you happen to have black or brown skin, then you are incapable of doing much of anything on your own because you are the subject of race, a racist system that is engineered against you. And if you have white skin, you're part of the oppressor class. 
In other words, you can be a bad guy or a good guy, bad girl or good girl, based on what your skin color is. You are defined by that. And these are the kind of toxic ideas that are being pushed with your money in your local libraries. And I just wanted to give you a fair warning about it. It'd be worth, and in fact, if anybody wants the links to this report from the Washington Free Beacon about CARE, because I went, I looked at the CARE website, and sure enough, there in late December, they have the Palestine Beyond Borders toolkit that calls for erasing an entire country and presumably all the people who live within that country, since it is currently a Jewish state, although it has about 2 million Arab people living in Israel as citizens with all rights allowed to them. Uh, so it's not an apartheid state at all. And they've decided to defend their borders, which is also the right of the United States, although these days Joe Biden is not exactly doing a bang-up job of defending our southern border or our northern border or any other kind of border. But the fact is, we, we've got a situation here where there are forces going on and they're going to use your resources. If you ask most of those people, which river are you talking about? Well, it's a river I'm very familiar with. I've been there. I've seen it. Uh, I've, I've put my feet in it. It's, it's a river. It's the river where Jesus Christ was baptized. It is, uh, it is right there. But if you take from the river to the sea, what you're talking about is erasing an entire country and all the people who live within it. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. For more than a quarter century, we've always put naysayers to the head of the line. I haven't had any great naysayers yet today, but there's always time. You've got the Lars Larson Show. political climate. He's the steamroller. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to be with you and always glad to take your calls. First, if you want to join the best conversation in talk journalism, it's right here at 866-HEY-LARS. That's 866-439-5277. If you're a naysayer, we'll put you right to the head of the line. If you want to send an email instead, talk at LarsLarson.com. And of course, you can always vote in our poll on X. Uh, used to be called Twitter. Now it's the X. So uh, we're calling it the poll on X. In any case, the question is there every day at Lars Larson Show. You can also find it on my website at LarsLarson.com. Thrilled to welcome back one of our great friends of the program, Hans von Spakowski, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and an expert on elections. In fact, he literally wrote the book about American elections. Hans, welcome back and Happy New Year to you. Well, Happy New Year to you, and it looks like it's going to be a very, very busy New Year. Yeah, it does. And in fact, let's knock through a bunch of things, and I'll try to keep my questions short. So we've got Colorado kicking Trump off the ballot, determining that he's guilty of insurrection without trial or anything else, Queen of Hearts style. You've got Maine, where they only held an administrative hearing, and then a reliable foot soldier for the Democrats said, okay, we're kicking Trump off the ballot here. And it sounds like the U.S. Supreme Court will, well, they've been asked to look at it, what do you expect to happen? Uh, they've been asked to take it up. They don't have to, but I just don't see how they can turn it down because they know that if they don't issue a decision, we could have 
literally electoral chaos, because that would be the situation if you have uh, some states removing him from the ballot, like Colorado and Maine. California is now considering it. And other states saying, no, he will remain on the ballot. It, It would be unprecedented for that situation to exist in a presidential election. I just don't see how they can turn it down. No, I don't either, because because it would leave us in a real uh, in a real spot, because there are, I think, 16 different lawsuits. I'm, I may be a bit off right. on that in different states to kick him off the ballot. And what does it say when a state is telling its citizens, not just we're kicking Trump off, but we're not going to let you vote for him? I guess some of them have even said, even if you write him in, we're not going to count the votes. So this is the kind of thing I thought we'd see mostly in banana republics or communist countries. No, you're not allowed to vote for that candidate. Well, in fact, um, we have uh, sanctioned other countries, including, for example, Venezuela, for that exact behavior. And yet we have it occurring here. By the way, with Maine, just with Maine and Colorado alone, this would disenfranchise almost 6 million registered voters, telling them that they don't get to decide who the candidate should be uh, for uh, president. And should we presume that if, or assume that if Colorado may knock him off the primary ballot, they'll do the same in the general election? Or can they? Uh, oh, yeah. No, they will do the same in, in uh, the general election. Uh, and that's why this is such a problem that the Supreme Court needs to take up. The, the petition asking the Supreme Court to review this was filed uh, just yesterday by um, uh, the Trump campaign, although actually last week the Colorado Republican Party also filed a petition asking the Supreme Court to take up the case. Now, what about the idea that in Colorado, a, uh, the courts, because you, you deal a lot with these questions because that's where your expertise lies, how can the courts determine that we're taking you off the ballot because you're guilty of insurrection when there's been no trial, no due process, no, no, none of that. And, and when I pointed out to my audience, the only time he's been formally accused of insurrection was in the impeachment, which is not a criminal matter, but then it goes to the Senate and he's acquitted. The Biden DOJ decided not to charge him with insurrection. The FBI said we didn't find evidence that he was involved in insurrection. So how can a court you know, especially a Supreme Court in a state, simply say, we've determined he's guilty of this. We don't have, have any need to have a hearing or witnesses or anything else. We'll just determine it on our own. Well, you point out the severe problems with what they did, and what you basically get got was a partisan decision that ignores the Constitution and the law. Uh, don't forget, this was a four to three decision. And in fact, uh, one of the dissenting judges raised that very issue that, um, you know, Donald Trump didn't have any of the constitutionally required substantive due process rights that you get when, when you're criminally charged. And that's just one of the major mistakes and errors that the Colorado court made. Well, does it change things, Hans? Because putting you on the ballot or not, I think that's a civil issue. But you're charging with insurrection. Insurrection is a crime, correct? Correct. It, it, it is. And no one should be found guilty of that, certainly not in a civil election case, without uh, all of the substantive due process rights you have, which is things like the ability to pr- provide defense witnesses, the ability to cross-examine witnesses brought by a prosecution. None of that was given. In fact, they, they took 
They took the findings of the January 6th committee, which, as you know, was a one-sided, very partisan investigation. They, they took that as gospel, that everything in that report is true, and therefore that they could find him guilty of insurrection. A committee that, for the first time in American congressional history, uh, the Democrats said, we'll choose our members and we'll choose your members as well. And to the Republicans, you have no right to choose your members. I mean, I've wondered, and I want your view on this is less of a legal or statistical question, but I'm told that voter interest, especially among American young people, is down dramatically. Is it down in part because people are looking at the system saying this is so gamed and rigged uh, that, that why would I bother voting and when, when all of this stuff is going on to tell people this is who you're allowed to vote for, you aren't allowed to vote for that guy, and, uh, and so why take part? Because it seems the Biden administration and all of its allies out there have decided to really drive down people's faith in elections. Oh, no, that is a that is a very big factor. Look, I, I've been working on studying elections for a long time, and uh, all the scholars in this area will tell you that one of the key essentials to turnout, to voters getting out to vote, is public confidence in the fairness, honesty, and integrity of the election process. And these kind of actions, I mean, listen, for three years, right, Democrats have been talking about, oh, election interference, uh, this is election interference of the worst kind. So what what other legal maneuvers do you see in the in the, say, 10 months ahead? Because they charged him in four different criminal cases. Those don't appear to be going well. And I'd love your assessment of those. Um, and they thought that'll do the trick. They, they tried impeaching him. That didn't work. Uh, to block him from the ballot or block him from running. They've gone after him four different times in four criminal cases. That hasn't worked. This doesn't appear to be working. And when the, when and if the Supreme Court slaps it down and says you can't do it, then that, I assume that kills all of the other lawsuits in other states to take him off the ballot. Where, where do they go next? Well, they might actually have to face him in an election, which is what they clearly uh, don't want to do. And they do have problems in these other uh, cases, uh, particularly, for example, um, the criminal case filed by Jack Smith, the special counsel, as you know, just before Christmas, um, he tried to convince the Supreme Court to take up the case immediately, skipping the whole appeals process on the question of presidential immunity. And the Supreme Court slapped him down and said, no, we're not going to do that. So his trial that, that, that he wants, Smith wants to have occurring in March, in the middle of the primary season, that's not going to happen because Trump now has the ability to appeal the issue of presidential immunity up through the entire uh, Court of Appeals process. See, I don't even understand how they do that because, Hans, you're a lawyer, I'm not. But you have to have a record. Appeals courts decide on the lower court record. How do you appeal something right. straight, to the, straight to the Supreme Court when they have no basis on which to decide it? Well, in fact, that's why I'm sure the court... Uh, said, no, we're not taking the case. That that was, frankly, something extraordinary for Jack Smith to be asking for. And by the way, the, the petition that he filed, the Supreme Court kept saying, oh, it is so important, it is so important to the public <laughs> that this uh, issue be decided uh, as soon as possible. He never explained why that was. Well, No, and he doesn't. That's Hans von Spakowski. Hans, thanks very much, and Happy New Year. Senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation. We'll be back with your calls in a moment. 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com.
The Lars Larson Show. Only one in five people with disabilities... Just listen for five minutes. You'll feel better. More with Lars Larson right now. Welcome back to the Lars Larson Show. It's a pleasure to be with you, and I'm always glad to take your phone calls and emails. It is a pleasure to welcome to the program United States Congressman Derek Van Orden, who represents Wisconsin's District 3. That's got to be interesting. Congressman, it's a pleasure to have you on. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. And it is interesting. I don't say I'm from the great state of Wisconsin. I say I'm from the greatest state of Wisconsin. So write that down and send that out to your listeners. The greatest state of Wisconsin. Well, my former debate partner became one of the academics at the University of Wisconsin, and he's a total thoroughgoing liberal. So congratulations to any conservative who can hold his own in a place like Wisconsin. Yes, you got it. Yeah, man. Um, Well, you know, we just got. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, you you sound like you've got the right point of view on the border, which is well, we need to impeach Alejandro Mayorkas as Homeland Security Secretary because he's actually opened up the floodgates to an invasion that Americans are now suffering under of illegal aliens that totals about eight or nine million people with another 300,000 or so coming in every month. Uh, and we need to somehow figure out either tell the Biden administration, shut the border or close the government down, uh, turn off the money tap. Uh, am I am I out of order on that one, uh, Congressman? No, you're not. No, Lars. And uh, people ask me, should we impeach Mayorkas? And I asked them to tell me a single reason why he should maintain his job, because I can't think of anything. Um, he has opened the borders completely. Him and Joe Biden reversed all of the policies that were put in place by President Trump, which dried up illegal immigration. It took a little bit, but then it kicked in. And if you look at uh, the flow of illegal immigrants coming into the country, it started to, to peak after President uh, Biden uh, got elected because Biden and Kamala Harris said, come on into the United States. You can stay here as long as you want, and you're going to be, uh, be able to become citizens, is what they're telling them. And that spiked it. So this is such a complicated issue. I like to divide it into a few things, and uh, some of which I just learned for the first time, and that's my third time at the border. There's policy solutions we can look at because there's national security implications and there's also humanitarian um, implications here. So from the policy side, as I said, Biden got into office. He reversed the remain in Mexico policy, speaking to the Border Patrol agents in Eagle Pass, if they put... Uh, remain in Mexico back in place, that would stop 70% of the illegal immigration tomorrow. It would actually take about a week but to get that done. But they unfortunately they do not want to do that. Uh, also, if you remember, they shut down the trains going back and forth through Eagle Pass. And I spoke to these guys, and I had them lay it out on a timeline. So when they closed the railroads, five days later, they went from 1,500 immigrants a day in Eagle Pass to, to less than 200. And it wasn't the people riding on the train. It was the fact that Mexico was losing $50 million a day because they couldn't transport goods into the United States. That's a financial pressure point that we can apply to Mexico. And that does literally take five days. Um, When we're talking about the national security implications that are uh, taking place now, it's just remarkable. So 
it's between seven and ten million illegal immigrants have been entered have entered the country illegally under Joe Biden's watch. Ninety percent of those have already been released into the United States. So that's, ninety percent of the seven to ten million. I'm glad my numbers aren't completely out of order because most of them I get from members of Congress like you. Um, but right. and and I think if anybody says, well, that's not fair to put that pressure on Mexico. How much? How much are we are we going to be spending in the out years? You know, the years going forward. We, even if we cut it off at nine or say seven to ten million, nine million is the is the midpoint of that. I mean, in New York City alone, they're spending over a billion dollars a month to somehow deal with just the illegals that made it to New York City. And Chicago's got the same problem in all these other big cities. So Mexico and the other countries that are allowing this to happen, including our own country, are putting gigantic pressure on American taxpayers when we're already functionally broke. That's correct. And Lars, let's remember, they didn't just make it to New York City and Chicago. The Biden administration flew them there. Or the beleaguered states of Texas and California or excuse me, Texas and Florida sent them there. But less than 30% of the uh, illegal aliens that are in New York and around the country were sent there by Texas. So the Biden administration is trying to make sure or trying to blame Texas for what they're doing. And I don't know if you saw some of this footage from yesterday. I did. I was standing with the Speaker of the House, 60 other Republican members of Congress, hundreds of police officers and military folks, and several people walked up through the river and said Venezuela, Venezuela to us, completely unabashedly, and then walked through the Constantina wire onto U.S. soil. And there's zero fear of any type of uh, culpability for these folks. So they know that they're going to walk in here and they're going to be treated humanely, which they should, but then they're also going to be released into the United States. And I guarantee you those 8 to 10 people that we saw walking across will be in Chicago this weekend. That's how fast they move them through the system. And I'm talking to Derek Van Orden, who's a member of Congress representing District 3 in Wisconsin. So, and, and is it worse than that as well? Because some of those illegals know if I get across the border, even in the middle of nowhere, I just wait for Border Patrol to pick me up. They'll take me somewhere. We'll, I'll get uh, a shower, uh, you know, use a restroom, uh, get a couple, get a meal, maybe some medical care. And then they're going to give me a plane ticket or a bus ticket anywhere I want to go in America. How, how outrageous is that? It's shocking. And the vetting system is completely broken. I used an example. One of my uh, colleagues had his name on one of his, you know, it's a U.S. congressman. And I asked the guy who's in charge of the Eagle Pass Processing Center, I said, so if this guy walks into the country and he's got a shirt that has his name on it, or he doesn't have anything, he just tells you what his name is, what are you guys doing? He said, well, we ask him for identification. I said, suppose he doesn't have identification. Then he said, then we run him through these databases. Well, Lars... You know, I'm a retired Navy SEAL, and I did some advanced human intelligence work previously. So I understand these databases intimately. If you're not in a database or you give a false name and there's no biometrics on you, you're going to come clean in any database because if you're not in there, you're not in there. So he said, well, run them through these databases, and then if they don't pop, then that person becomes whoever they said they were. So let's say they were Bill Johnson. Guy comes in and says, I'm Bill Johnson. They run him through a database. He doesn't pop for anything because he's never been uh, detained by somebody before or has no biometrics or he gave a false name. Then the United States government makes that person Bill Johnson. And then Bill Johnson gets to tell them what his birthday is and the country that he was born in. They give this person an ID card with a little barcode on it and a picture that says Bill Johnson, the the birth date that Bill Johnson gave them, 
and the country of origin that Bill Johnson told them. They used that to get a work permit. And that, That's that creating false government ID, right, Congressman? So, I mean, in some yeah. ways, I want to try radical things like getting a Texas prosecutor, an Arizona prosecutor to, to bring charges against the federal government for create, knowingly creating false identification. Well, it, it's just shocking. The national security implications of that are incredibly profound. So, again, 90 plus percent of these people, at least the 7 million people that have come in here, are somewhere in the United States. And from the humanitarian side, and this is just terrible, if someone takes, if people take anything away from this, um, the United States government under the Biden administration has lost over 100,000 unaccompanied minors in the United wow. States. So you remember when AOC put her pantsuit on and bright red lipstick and was crying next to a chain link fence? Yep. No one bothered looking at the other side of the picture. There's an open gate right next to her. Everybody knows that, right? Yep. So when she was doing that, that was over kids being held in cages, which, in fact, they were not actually being held in cages. But to to the point of absurdity, there are 100,000, at least 100,000 unaccompanied children that came across the border that are somewhere in the United States that the Biden administration turned over to NGOs and they don't know where they are. Unbelievable. That's Congressman Derek Van Orden. Congressman, thanks for your service in the U.S. Navy, SEALs, uh, and thanks for your service as the third district congressman from this great state, greatest state of Wisconsin. Back in a moment. Glad to get your calls at 866-HEY-LARS. Send emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. control. Our Constitution is a document in which we the people tell the government what it is allowed to do. This is the Lars Larson Show. Welcome back to the program. Glad to have you with me. And if you want to join the conversation, it's 866-HEY-LARS. In fact, I want to get to a naysayer here in just a moment. But I have a confession for you. After decades of telling people that I'm not pro-choice, I'm pro-life, it turns out that at least for one area, I'm pro-choice after all. And no, I'm not talking about killing babies. That's the kind of pro-choice that Democrats talk about. I'm in favor of allowing Americans to cast ballots for the candidate of their choice. I want to have that kind of choice. The Democrat Party and its friends and its allies have decided to do everything they can to take that choice away from you. In other words, knock Donald Trump off the ballot anywhere they can get it done, any way they can get it done, and to heck with the Constitution and the law and everything else. Uh, I am for presidential candidate choice, and it turns out that unlike abortion, you can actually find that right in the Constitution of the United States. I'll give you a few more thoughts on that in just a moment, but I really want to go to our naysayer. Uh, naysayer Luke, welcome to the program. You know on this program, naysayers always go to the head of the line. What do you and I disagree about today that makes you a naysayer? Well, Lars, uh, it's, it's about immigration, and I used to kind of be against immigration, but I saw the pictures of all these young foreign national men that are coming into the country. And I, I realized it's Biden administration. It's a brilliant plan. 
we're not going to have to fight overseas anymore. We're going to save a bundle on not having to ship material and ammunition. We'll be able to just fight here on our own shores and save all of the emissions <laughs> to boot. So it's, not only are we saving money, we're saving the environment by bringing all of those people and it'll allow older guys like you and me to kind of participate in, in whatever next war with Iran or Russia. I get so it. I, that you're I doing it a bit tongue-in-cheek, saying we're letting all these fighting-age Chinese, uh, fighting-age males come into our country. So instead of having to fight them over in the Taiwan Straits or the Formosa Straits, we'll, uh, we'll fight them right here on our own soil, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's going to save money. And for those of us that don't like to leave home, we can get our fighting in, you know, and be home for dinner in the evenings. It'll be great. Did you ever think that we'd arrive at this point where an American president would actually sponsor an, an invasion of his own country that now totals nine million? And we're looking at maybe three or four million more coming in in the next 12 months. Well, I, I, I did when when we elected Obama. I did. But I just didn't know we'd get here this soon. No. And, you know, Obama was bad enough, but Joe is worse. Although I think I, I tend to agree with the people who believe that this is just uh, Obama's third term in office, that Joe isn't really calling the shots, that they're being called by Obama through his former staffers who now make up much of the staff of Joe Biden's White House. So they don't even have to do it, uh, you know, in a, in a way that conceals how that's being done. Uh, Joe, Joe is a puppet or a marionette. And Obama pulls the strings, and all he has to do is is talk to his former staff members and say, have him do this or have him do that. And as long as Joe gets ice cream every afternoon, he's completely happy. Well, I, I think that's right. And I, I think sometimes we miss, the, I think it's a, it's a spiritual component as well. There's it, it, there's good and evil, and it seems like that's as clear as it's ever been in, in the history of the world. And, and And that's part of what we're having to fight against as well. You know what's kind of funny is that uh, you mentioned, I mean, I believe in a spiritual component to it as well, um, but but it used to be that we had a clear sense of what of, of right and wrong. And these days, everybody I talk to about issues wants to say, well, there's a nuance to it. And it's not just black and white. It really is black and white. I mean, for example, the most recent yeah. example, of course, was this Claudine Gay character, the uh, the person who was the president of Harvard and has now been busted down to just be a dean and a professor at Harvard. She's still making almost 900000 a year. Um, and she sits there on Capitol Hill and says, well, anti-Semitism is usually bad. But if you understand the context, there are contexts in which anti-Semitism is OK. I mean, this is where we've arrived at in America, where you don't have black and white. You don't have good and evil. Yeah, you have you have fifty shades of gray, you know that kind of thing. Yes, well, I I'm encouraged because I'm part of the homeschool movement, you know, and and yep. it's doubling, it's tripling, and and those kids are going to be the kids that that pull our butts out of this malaise that we're in, you know. Well, and in fact, my my granddaughter is homeschooled, and I I I think a lot of homeschooling, and for for decades, I really didn't have a dog in the fight. Now I do uh, because Payson's homeschooled, and and she's doing very very well. But what, what I think is going to be kind of funny is when all of the people who left their kids stuck in these toxic government-run schools, the ones that fail to teach a majority of the students, and that's literally true, a majority of the students fail to get a basic education. 
And then on top of that, they throw in all the indoctrination. They teach your kids that skin color determines who you are and where you're going and whether you're good or evil. That's the one place where they do believe in good or evil. If you've got white skin, you're evil. If you have brown or black skin, you're you're simply a victim of a racist system. All this crap that they're throwing down the throats of these people. But what's going to happen in the long run, Luke? You know that that on average, the average kid who's homeschooled does better is more likely to go to college and not a college like Harvard, but actually get something out of the education, have some values, they're going to be running the show. And the folks who went for the indoctrination and the DEI and the CRT and all the rest of that garbage, uh, they're going to be the ones taking orders from, uh, from the homeschool kids of today. I think so. I think that's right, Lars. Well, and I appreciate your thought about, yeah, just bring all our enemies to American soil. We can fight them here and save on the fuel bill. Thanks for the call, Luke. 866-439-5277. Send your emails to talk at LarsLarson.com. And our Twitter poll, or X poll as we're calling it now, if Joe Biden will not stop the illegal alien invasion, should Republicans carry through with their threat to shut down the government? Well, Andy Biggs of Arizona, Republican, said no more money for this bureaucracy of this government until you brought the border under control. Shut the border down or shut the government down. Now, you could say, well, that's a radical notion. No, it's not. It's common sense. You've got a president who's opened wide the border, the invasion. And he's got a secretary of Homeland Security who refuses to even tell the truth to Congress. And that's why Alejandro Mayorkas is coming up under articles of impeachment next week. And they're going to start considering an impeachment vote on him. And I understand when they get to the Senate, the Democrats will just vote in lockstep like they usually do and say we're not going to convict him. But if Biden won't stop the illegal alien invasion, then shut the government down. Turn the money supply off and say, Joe, you need to fix this problem. And that doesn't mean giving Joe Biden billions of dollars so he can speed up the entry of more millions of illegal aliens. I did want to mention this um, about being pro-choice, pro-presidential choice in this case, not pro-baby killing choice. Um, the fact is, you're going to see the Democrats over the next 10 months pull out all the stops. They're going to do everything they can to throw Donald Trump off the ballot. And I think American voters are smarter than the Democrats give them credit for. American voters are going to look at that and say, if you are so darn desperate to keep this man from running for office because you know he's the choice of the American people, then that redoubles the efforts I'm going to make to make sure I vote for the right person. Young people are figuring that out. So are people of color. People who are brown and black have said, you know what? Joe Biden isn't working out very well for us. We're going to go for the guy with the more Lars Larson Show. Lars Larson Show. Looking for a new way to get.